So this podcast is a follow-up on the last one, but this is more an informal talk with some experience mixed in. So first I want to talk about the fact that students in the United States have to go to school. There's such a thing as compulsory education and the parents who rear their children can choose in all states to homeschool their child or to send their child to a private school, a parochial school, or homeschool with getting together with a co-op of other homeschool parents. Each state has their own laws in terms of homeschooling and so on, but students must be educated, and that's compulsory education. And many countries do the same. So when a parent has a young child between the ages of six to age anywhere from 15 to 18, depending on the state, their responsibility is to get their son or daughter to school, to get registered for school, or to inform their local authorities and their state that they will be homeschooling their child if they choose not to send their child to a public school or a private school. And when we talk about chronic absenteeism, we talk about the part of the puzzle that is part of the parent's responsibility a big part of the parent's responsibility, but also a part of the school's responsibility. And I talked a lot about family values in the last podcast, and it's not a judgment or anything, but there are some families that just have so much going on and they have chaotic systems going on at home, lack of rituals or routines and so on. And sometimes it's just there's an there's a lack of awareness on the part of the parent, or there's so many things going on that the parent is a single parent, they can't control what's going on in their home, or they're overwhelmed, or maybe they have an illness. Okay, all of that plays into the picture. But I want to start with a little narrative, which is that my uncle Bob was now not with us anymore, but he was the only person in our family who had a PhD. And he had his PhD a long time ago. Now it's more common to have a PhD. And when I saw that PhD hanging up on in the hallway, I was astonished because my father, who was his brother, told me the story of when Bob was a kid, They used to go to school, and before my father turned around and blinked, Bob would be out the door, and he would run out of school, and he would not want to go to school, and this was when he was very young, so of course my father would chase him and make him go to school. And then how did somebody like this turn around and become somebody so interested in learning, Well, you know, that's up to the individual. Maybe he's a curious learner, but the family value system had a lot to do with it. And even though 
It was more common for students in those days to drop out of high school and to help their families. And they were in an urban setting. They were in New York City. Uh, It was also common for men and women to help their families on the farm and to help their families if they needed money, if their families were poor and they needed to drop out of school. And a lot of young people did not have a choice or maybe they had to help the family survive. And so these days that there are some families in that situation, but it's compulsory for their children to be in school. So there's that discordance of values in society and what is expected. And we all know that in today's society, you can't go very far without an education. So that narrative sticks in my mind, because when I think about some of the challenges that we had when I was a teacher and an administrator with students who are chronically absent, and I think about some of the cases, and I think about what's uncovered underneath those cases, that 99.9% of those cases were due to dysfunction in the home and serious issues that could be and would be uncovered when you got down to figuring out what made a student chronically truant. And I not only want to talk about problems, but I want to talk about solutions. But I do want to say that there were some situations, and I won't reveal the sex, the name, the place, or anything else, where the families were in a cycle that I would call enabling. And in one particular case, the family, the head of the family was viewing her child as somebody that she could buddy with and go away with and get into addictive situations with the child. And the child was still a child, even though she was a teenager. And however, the child had a lot of disabilities. So there were a lot of hidden problems in terms of perspective and that the child herself may not have had the goals to complete the education. And when you unravel these complex situations, you find that there are deeper and deeper issues and problems. And underneath the issues and problems, there were emotional difficulties and depression and learning disabilities and addiction and sex addiction and a whole Uh, When you think about it, like a rubber band ball of problems, you take one rubber band off and then there's more, there's more, there's more. That was this kind of situation. And when a parent is not supporting a child with that much need and indeed is taking the child out of school for their own purposes that are not legitimate, it's not a family emergency, that's a situation that crosses over into abuse and neglect. So, but I want to talk about how even that becomes a system that's negative because once a team gets on the case and once child welfare is called, then it's a defensive situation. So the parent has now got their back up and they're looking for blame. They're looking to blame the school. They're not a partner with the school. They're looking to run 
both the child and the parent are looking to escape school and it's a no-win situation. So looking at solutions to those kind of cases where now the chronic truant is on the run because they don't like school to begin with, they're not getting the support they need, they're not getting the instruction they need, and now they're sort of in cahoots with the parent, we're not really getting the student to buy in. So we want to start thinking about solutions that really work and solutions that aren't shame-oriented. So I talked about in the last podcast the awareness. Yes, we look at statistics and yes, we look at them squarely and honestly, and we don't cover things up. That's really important. Look at it, compare similar schools and look at your discipline reports and everything in the culture that's rotten and negative and so on. But we also have to start thinking of how to get into early intervention. And for students in early grades, it's easier because we're capturing them in terms of They come to school, they're contained in the school, and unless a parent keeps them home, they don't run out of the building usually, hopefully. They don't run out of the building if there's good supervision going on. They shouldn't run out of the building. But in a high school, the students tend to skip or they tend to come in and go out like my Uncle Bob. And unlike elementary school, it's the students have a modicum of freedom in high school. So if a school has rules where they change classes and most high schools do, and they have an open lunch, it's easier for a student to be truant or leave the building and be partially truant, or it's easier for the student to get dropped off on the bu- on the bus stop and then <clears throat> take off for the day. And only the s- school knows they're absent, but they're not 100% sure whether they've the student is cutting until the parent doesn't furnish an absence note. So by then it's too late. So to start with, we need to have a good bridge from the middle school to the high school, meaning the middle school has to prepare the student for the freedom of high school and has to teach them about the responsibility of staying on school grounds and why it's important, not only from an educational standpoint, but from a safety standpoint. Because when students go off and they go off the school ground, they could be at risk for many things, sexual predators, uh, getting lured into using drugs, addiction, getting into trouble with the law, getting caught where they're not supposed to, trespassing. There's so many permutations and combinations of problems that can happen when students are truant and they cut school. And there's so many permutations and combinations of things that a school can do to combat that. For example, a school can have a program where students are incentivized for doing the right thing. So we commonly know that as PBIS. And PBIS is a total system, and schools can decide what they want to do to incentivize students, not just build a more positive environment, but give students uh, points, give students prizes, give students 
trips and awards and certifications and all kinds of things to keep them in school. And I think a part of PBIS that we often don't think about is making sure the instruction is at the right level because some students don't come to school or they leave school because they're not engaged. And we don't always have to entertain students in school, but we have to make sure the instruction is at the appropriate level, that students are interested in the subject matter, that they feel it's relevant, and that they want to come to school, that there's an adult that really cares about them, or there's not just one teacher, but there's a special adult who really cares about them. And so the students that regularly come to school, they also should be rewarded, not just the ones who we... um, identify as possible truants or possible cutters or possible uh, chronic absentees. But if we set the tone for a positive environment, then attendance is more likely to increase. One of the other areas, I think, aside from parent education, and I've talked about that in the last podcast and making sure that parents are crystal clear and incentivizing students is coming up with an intervention plan for students who have one or two absences uh, that look suspicious. So if a student comes in with a legit doctor's note, if they don't have a pattern of absences, or even if let's say they get a week-long illness, the flu or sinus infection or something, and they have a pretty good pattern of attendance and the parents are communicating with the school or the student is bringing in a, a doctor's note or the student is always attending classes and there's no pattern of cutting, that's one thing. But if there's a student who starts to show patterns that are out of the ordinary or they're a ninth grader in high school who is starting to have slipping attendance, somebody should pick them up early before they go into chronic absentee mode. Because once they're in chronic absentee mode, everything starts to go in motion. They get disconnected from the school. The parents tend to not answer the phone because there's a lot of shame going on, blame going on, all kinds of things going on. And if they even come back to school, if we can get them back to school, then they fall behind. They feel ashamed. They don't do the work. The teacher's sometimes don't welcome them because they feel there's a lot of catching up to do. The guidance counselors have double duty to do. So we want to catch those students before they go out to chronic long-term absence. And I think that maybe the bar should be set at five days. So if a student is absent more than five days, there is somebody to capture them. And that somebody doesn't have to be an attendance teacher, a truant officer, or something negative, or a dean. It can be somebody in the building, and I've read about something called success mentors or buddy teachers or adopt-a-kid programs where there's some adult in the school who takes hold of a student who is at promise, they don't call it at risk anymore, but at promise, and captures them so that attendance doesn't slip. And again, we're not talking about childhood illness or anything like that. We're talking about a pattern that starts. So another thing that I think is an area that a lot of people don't 
walk into that often is lateness. When we start to see that a student has chronic lateness, it's a precursor to, I might as well not come at all. So I think there has to be eye on lateness, consequences for lateness, and that's hard to do in many settings, and more, more often a counselor or some caring individual to, to find out why the student is late. Because with chronic lateness and chronic absences, there's a lot of stories behind what's going on. And by stories, I don't mean excuses. I mean, there is something going on in the home. And there is something going on in the executive functioning of the student as well. It's not just the home, but sometimes it's the student themselves. who He or she doesn't have a good organizational system. They are not putting school as a priority. They may have some fears going on about school, uh, the academics, bullying, social situations, teachers who may be putting them down or the opposite, maybe getting too much attention. They don't like it. All kinds of things could be going on. And by having a trusted mentor, it will help the student or an adult that will connect, not just a counselor because the counselors are very spread thin, but a, a mentor. So we're talking about several preventative programs in mind. And I also think that number one, uh, which which also is not talked about very much, is to make sure when a student goes from junior high school or middle school to high school that they're able to make the physical transition in terms of, at least in urban areas, how is the commute? Is it a workable commute for them? Did they apply to the right school? Or if they're zoned for the school, do they have the right transportation? Do they know how to get there? In suburban settings, do they have a system for getting to school? Is it a workable system? If their parent says you have to walk, is it too far? Is it too cold? Is there some other way for them to get to school? Or maybe the opposite, they're too dependent on their parent to, to take them when, when indeed they could walk. In, in a Rural setting, you know, it's it's the same thing. Getting to school, figure out a routine for getting to school and staying in school and having a reason to get to school. Warm and welcoming community when you get there. People that you connect to, people that you feel safe with. All of these are factors in keeping kids in school. So when I think about some of the narratives and the, the opposite of success stories, the the stories that are sad and wind up with students dropping out and students failing or teen pregnancy or kids getting involved with drugs. I also try to balance it with the opposite of stories where I, I and other educators have caught kids who are on the bubble, who are on the, the edge of the ledge of failing and have done outreach and have shown the student reasons to stay in school. If the student is just not connecting to the subject matter, hopefully grade teams can get together and make the subject matter more alluring, more fun, more challenging, more, or the opposite, uh, less challenging if the student is finding it too hard, finding supportive ways to, to keep 
the student engaged in the work and feeling like they're doing well. Also offering those incentives, celebrations of success, making the student feel wanted. I think about all those times that I did capture the students and the students were able to graduate. And all of those little things really, really add up. But chronic absenteeism is one of those things that it has to start at the team level. And teams have to think of ways to prevent these long-term absences from happening. And on the other side of it, if a student has legitimately been uh, off the register because he or she has moved and they're just being hounded with phone calls and the school is getting um, calls from the district that the student is not attending and the student is indeed transferred, help the parent get off the register by making sure that they register in the school where they've transferred. And that's half the problem that I've seen, that there's always about 2% of the students on the long-term absence list who have transferred to another school and they're not attending the other school yet, or they haven't gone to the people in the other school and gotten the paperwork done so that they can get off your register. And it's important to know that that hand-to-hand transfer is taking place so that we're assuring that they're getting education in the other county they went to or the other state that they went to, the other country that they went to. We want to make sure that they're getting their compulsory education. So that's more of the details of chronic absenteeism, and that's part of classroom management because when we show that we're caring for even the students who are not showing up to school, we are building a community and we're building a community for all the students who need to be in school, whose whose duty it is to be in school. Finally, I want to say that when students are not in school, that's somebody's child. I said that in the last podcast and we never want a student to be out on the street or wandering or in harm's way. We always want a child or young teen to be supervised until they're old enough to be able to attend an internship and go out on their own, leave the high school on their own, but we never want them to be free-forming it. So thank you very much for listening. I enjoyed speaking on this subject.